Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. This week we're looking forward to Wonder Woman, and in anticipation of it, we're taking a look back at Suicide Squad, the previous film in DC's current cinematic universe. A few quick points of note. One, we recorded this episode before the buzz had started to come in for Wonder Woman. Apparently, it's uh, it's it's meant to be pretty good, so I hear. So that's that's uh, good news, I guess. I, I I'm looking forward to it. Also, Robert Zemeckis is now in talks to direct the upcoming The Flash movie, which does sound like they're kind of doing what we suggest they do in this episode. Quite frankly, as you'll hear later. Uh, and also, finally, in a in a sadder instance of time making fools of us all. We also recorded this episode before Roger Moore very sadly passed away, so uh, I just thought I'd better explain why why Calvin casts him in his sequel pitch and none of us acknowledge uh, his, his passing. Calvin's made a number of tributes to the man that meant so much to him on his usual social media channels, so if you are a Bond fan, then uh, you might want to go and have a look at that. But that's enough sad stuff for now. Just let it be known that this episode contains spoilers for Raiders of the Lost Ark, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and of course, Suicide Squad. Enjoy! Welcome to this week's episode of Diminishing Returns, the podcast where we watch films, talk about them a bit, and then pitch our own ideas for sequels. As always, I'm Alan, and with me are Calvin. Well, I'm only sometimes Calvin. (laughs) (laughs) And Sol. Other other times I'm 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 mother. Uh, Straight in with the impressions. The psycho, psycho episode's still available. Uh, go to uh, SoundCloud <laughs> slash Diminishing Returns podcast, something like that. Uh, what is it? <laughs> Whatever. Whatever you get in a podcast. We'll, we'll edit it. <laughs> um, and with those, as always, is Sol. Yeah, hi. I, I laughed so hard then because I was just about to say exactly what Calvin said as like, a joke mocking him in his voice, and then he did it for me. <laughs> uh, right, so this week we are looking at Suicide Squad. Uh, now, why are we looking at this? Mm. It's kind of in a, a build-up to um, Wonder Woman? Wonder Woman, which is, they're all part of the same universe, mm. or not, not connected, really. Well, they are, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's an interesting one for us, because it's the first time we've looked at a film that was released while we've been around, isn't it? Oh, as in uh, sequels too. It, yeah, it's I think you're right. because we we've, we've reviewed yeah, films we, that come we, out, obviously, but this is actually taking it the next step. We've well, we last crossed... last year we reviewed a film in anticipation of Suicide yeah. Squad when we yeah. looked at Batman v Superman. Yeah, you're right because we we have we've done this with Marvel films, but we. We sort of looked at different corners of the Marvel universe each time. So you're right. This is the first time we've gone back and directly done an episode that we were 
looking forward to in a previous episode. So, so that yeah. does mean we've yeah. actually talked about Suicide Squad before because we talked about it as the potential of it when we were doing Batman v Superman and what we were expecting. And then because it was one of the uh, films we were looking at, in our review at the end of the year, in which we round up uh, reviews of the films we've uh, looked at over the last six months, we did talk about Suicide Squad... And we had some controversial mm. opinions on it. Yeah, you, you two butt heads <laughs> we, each other. Well, well. Should we? Should we listen back? Should we remember? Oh, I can't believe that you, Alan, are going to be the person defending Suicide Squad. I know. Squad, I can't like... believe it either. And I must admit, I was pleasantly surprised by Suicide Squad. There's a lot of flaws to it, but I basically enjoyed it. I kind of. Watched it as a solid action film. I can tell you all the things that are wrong with it. But I enjoyed it. I liked the direction of it. I think David Ayer <coughs> brought that film together. <laughs> what? What? Oh my god, he brought it together. Yeah. I think no, this film, film was brought together by committee. So this was a bunch of execs <laughs> sat around a table thinking, cut that, cut that, do this, do this, do this. I would be amazed yeah, and, if he and was like, you... in the editing room, like in post production. I'm stunned. Well, maybe, maybe. Let's try and recreate it. Oh, <laughs> you, this film is a shit. Oh, well, I, I, I reckon it was about as good as the Avengers, to be honest. Oh, that's outrageous. I'm seething. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty good. <laughs> happy that we're revisiting this um and soul i'm especially interested to know what you think of the film because you could be the kingmaker in this debate <laughs> yeah and, uh, when we um when we did our review of the year 2016 still available go and go and listen <laughs> it was a good one uh when we did that i hadn't got round to watching suicide squad because uh normally i like many people just sort of go and watch these films regardless of if they're meant to be any good but i just I just had enough, <laughs> and I, I felt like they're never going to learn if I go and watch their films, even when they're meant to be shit. So I, I, I took a stand for once and didn't go to see it. And mm. uh, enough times now passed that I've been able to rent the thing and and watch it. So uh, yeah, as you say, I'm I'm going to be the deciding opinion on on this debate. King Solomon, mm. <laughs> <laughs> fair and wise. Um, well, <laughs> I'd like to address something first. Uh, obviously, I was the uh, the um, apologizer of Suicide Squad um, when it when we reviewed it originally, and uh, it was very much like I went in with little to no expectation and kind of got a decent little action film out of it, and that was kind of my defense of it. Um, and like after we <laughs> after we went back and forth. I think I, what I actually gave it was a 7 out of 10. Don't, don't say you don't like it, because you're going to ruin my next <laughs> where I give my opinion. Well, no, well, you know, <laughs> basically, <laughs> I've rewatched it. I suspected that it wouldn't live up to it, the same opinion on a second viewing. That has oh, been... God, he's going to say it got better. <laughs> that is, I think it might be my favourite film ever. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, well, yeah, let's just say when I looked at it with a more 
analytical eye, the flaws are more obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I think but basically what it was is I, I went and, you know, the, the classic cinema experience. I was, You know, I, I just enjoyed the film for what it was. It was a spectacle. I was there with a lady. I may not have been fully focused on the film. Um, and then, yeah. so sitting down watching it on DVD, yeah, it didn't didn't particularly hold up to and, uh, my previous thoughts. How did things go with that lady? Was she desperate for just anything to take her mind <laughs> off the film when you were watching it that... <laughs> That things went very well, or yes. or is it such a such an awful experience that you just never spoke again and well, she, went your separate ways? Well, both actually. <laughs> <laughs> so after you saw it at the cinema, you gave it a seven out of ten. What's that rating like now after this most recent DVD viewing? Uh, four out of ten. Oh my god. That's a meteoric <laughs> drop. I know from, it uh, was because it, because I was watching it so coldly and just like it wasn't like an experience. I was like, "What the? What's that about? What's that about?" And I, indeed, I, I made notes, and so I literally was writing down all the things that were annoying me. Huh. I thought we were going to have a good old balmy on this. Uh, I know, I'm, I'm really quite disappointed, Alan, because I was I was getting ready to just come in and call you a fucking lunatic because <laughs> when I watched this film. Yeah. And and you know, bear in mind, I went within. I I went in with lower expectations than even you because you know the the film's been and gone at this point, and the only positive word I'd really heard on it was from you. Uh, <laughs> pretty, you giving the film a giving the film a seven out of ten on our official diminishing returns Facebook page, which. Still leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I think you should go back and edit that. <laughs> I don't like that. That's up there for everyone. To <laughs> I'll have to put a PS on it. I, I was expecting a bad film. I was flabbergasted, blown away by just how bad a film this is. Mm. <laughs> like I was expecting something fairly watchable, some enjoyable moments, kind of like Batman v Superman. This film is so bad. It just it it boggles the mind. Like it. It it feels like someone was trying to make a bad film, and then all the executives came in and just elevated it or to to brand new levels of of shitness. I think it's fate. I think the whole thing's fatally flawed, though, because I think what it all comes down to is they're trying to do far far too much and set up all these characters because mm. they're trying to catch up I, with the Avengers. I guess they they like rather than I doing the groundwork. Disagree. I, I don't think that's a problem. I. I think films like The Avengers, I mean, yeah, you can make the argument, oh, well, there was a whole film where Thor, you got to know who he was, and there was a whole film explaining who Captain America was, but loads of people went to see The Avengers who hadn't seen any of those films. I know loads of people who skipped those and just went to see The Avengers, or maybe they'd seen Iron Man, but none of the others, and and the film works without... It, it has about... Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying... the characters up, and it works without leaning on those previous films and, mm. and I'm Guardians saying... of the Galaxy that we discussed recently, that works just as well with about six or seven characters that are all introduced very quickly. Well there you go. I mean that's a good example of how it how it's done, yeah. But yeah. I'm not saying that that's the only problem with it. I'm saying that it's kind of fatally flawed from the start because of what they're trying to do. Um, well, my isn't good, what I'm isn't saying good. is that's not an excuse. <laughs> this, like, it's mm-hmm. it, there's loads of films with loads of characters that get away with it and do a good job. And well, that's it. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy is a good example because it's got no 
I mean, I know it's kind of connected to the other universe, but there's no real precedent for it. If you go and watch that first film, they have yeah. to establish all those characters and the story world all in one go. And, and, they do and a to a lesser extent, in fact, more, more than they do in Suicide Squad, because the Joker is such an iconic character that you don't really need to establish who he is. And Yeah, and ult- ultimately, we're, we're on Earth, at least. You know, we, we kind of understand yeah. that, and Gotham, and, and yeah... And, I, I, I did my old viewing notes thing that I haven't done in a while, really, uh, as I was going through the film. Shall I just go through those? or? Well, I did as well, so I presume yours are chronological, so if yeah. if you go over something that I have, or if I've okay. got something you don't say, I'll, I'll bring that up and then, you know, but we'll just fit it in. So it opens in this, um, what is it, like a criminal containment it's, it's, yeah, facility. It's a, it's a prison for like criminally insane whatever or or something. Yeah. But like like why you, you, but you, it but it isn't Arkham Asylum. Why the hell isn't it Arkham Asylum? Exactly. It's like That's Harley Quinn. Is... Harley Quinn is a psychiatrist there and yeah. why not just name it Arkham Asylum? Are they saving it back for I don't know. something else? Are we gonna see the origins of Arkham Asylum? I I really don't understand why it isn't Arkham. Uh okay then my notes say we see Will Smith punching stuff, and then he gets beaten. And I've made a note that he looks in surprisingly good shape for someone who's been living on loaf, because they're <laughs> feeding him like uh, what is it? Just like sludge bread? Or yeah, something. just shitty prison yeah. food, basically. And then we see, so we so we see Will Smith, and he's playing what Deadshot, a guy who can shoot really well. Okay, yeah. So so he's like he's like uh, Hawkeye in the Avengers, but with proper guns. Mm. Um, I mean, he's not that bad. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then we meet Harley Quinn. Yes. In a you know, iconic first live action feature appearance. Mm. Uh so she's in a cage. What why? Cuz she's like really dangerous or or something. But a cell would do and they put yeah, her in a special yeah. cage in the middle of the room. Well, yeah, it looks a bit better, cage. doesn't it? They need to um they need to sort of give each one their own distinct sort of cage. Like the um the fire guy, like he's in a cage of like water, isn't he? Or uh... Oh no, it's he's in that little tank, isn't he? Yeah, he's in that yeah. tank. Sorry, it's Killer Croc who's in the in the water thing. Um so yeah, just but, for like, variations. But sake, Harley Quinn's just uh <clears throat> she's just a like she's just a woman who's like Sexist. Like there's people like that in the real world, you know that. Mm. It'd be like the Moors murderers being kept in a in a special cage, like mm. some sort of Hannibal Lecter kind of villain. You just put them in a jail cell. Mm. You're already touching on why this is a shitty, stupid film because they've got you've got demon beasts alongside just normal people with mental illness or someone who's just particularly good at throwing things. It's. It, <laughs> it, 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 it's a stupid concept, and they they shouldn't even be together in any sense. Well, mm. there's nothing wrong with it. It's just about how you approach that and write it and make it work. I mean, as we've said, the Avengers makes the same exact thing work more or less. Like it's it's kind of ludicrous at times, but yeah, it's one of the big things I don't like about the Avengers as well. But I mean, they do handle it a lot better. I'll give it that because the Avengers is watchable and they work it. Whereas this doesn't, but I still don't like that about the Avengers. I think it's a just a bad concept. I'm not a big fan of Hawkeye and Black Widow in the Avengers for that reason myself. But it 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 doesn't damage the film enough to like be a problem. Well, okay. So basically, if I want to pull a positive into this about the, uh, I found I like that they they have like a main jailer who talks to them and stuff. 
and eventually they use him for the joke through the Joker. He gets contact with Harley Quinn. But basically, I like that character. I like that they gave him a proper bit of personality. They they got an actor who could bring some life to it, rather than it just being like a stuffy jailer or you know a kind of that could have just so easily been a throwaway character, and they put something into it. So I'm going with positives here. Huh. Well, well, I thought well, one, of, one of the positives surely is um, Harley Quinn, Margot Robbie. If we're gonna, if we could pause and just talk a little bit about the stars. Well, let's film. just pause there because most of my notes are saying I hate Harley Quinn. Oh, I hate what? everything about yeah, her. Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm yeah. gonna lean more in Alan's direction with this one. I know she's like held up as the one positive element of the film. She certainly looks the part, but. Mm. Uh, I didn't think there was anything particularly remarkable about her performance in this film. Hmm. Uh, to be to be fair to Margot Robbie, like she did not have much to work with. Oh yeah, her role in the film is dreadful, but I think in like odd moments here and there, I but but even in the individual scenes and delivery and stuff, I, there was just nothing about what she was doing that made me think, yeah, that's a good good take on this character. That's a well-performed version. Do you of think this that's character. because she just she just does it very like on the nose? Like I can't say that it isn't sort of, you know, I, I I've seen people in fancy dress do the exact same thing. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I like it. It's it like yeah, it's kind of on the nose, but then it's also watered down a bit because my only real my only real knowledge of this character and exposure to this character has been in a cartoon where she is so larger than life mm. and say what you will about the film they do embrace that side of the joker it is a really larger than life joker mm. i i felt like harley quinn was somewhat muted just somewhat like to fit this gritty dark world's take on everything i suppose it just didn't feel like she was the outlandish character from the cartoons and everything and and, and uh, to be fair i'm not like a huge harley quinn fan to begin with i've never oh, really see i am one of my favorites yeah. in the animated series but like I just I didn't feel like it was a particularly good take on that character. I I just thought it was very just by the numbers. It was kind of just exactly what what you expect from it. Um, hmm. Okay. Well, how do we all feel about the? Because the star of the film is Will Smith. This is a Will Smith film. Yeah. Um, how do we feel about him? His performance is passable. There's nothing massively wrong with it. It's just, very bland, but again, he's not got anything to work with. Yeah, it's fairly standard Will Smith, but it's not, it, like good Will Smith is good. Standard Will Smith is is standard, and Will Smith's not bringing anything to it. Do you know what I mean? You could put someone mm. else in that role, and if you're going to put Will Smith in something, you want it because he's got that charisma that he can bring to it. Mm. And so it just feels so, yeah, lost. Mm. Mm. An interesting part of the film that could be developed is the blurring of good and evil because the Suicide Squad are ostensibly bad people who are being used for the greater good. That's the idea. Um, but mm. they're regularly, you know, they act in righteousness. Like you say, they kind of, they commit, they don't commit evil deeds particularly. They're they're quite good moral people in some ways. Mm. But then the people who control them are supposed to be the good guys mm. are really kind of generally evil people and yeah. act very vindictively. Which mm. is a great thing to explore, like especially like the you know your evil government 
corrupt, you know, sh- uh, shady organization, that sort of thing, and, mm-hmm. and and look at the nature of having to commit evil acts for the greater good in, in war or, or something like that. Or, mm-hmm. you know, that idea of, um, you know, do you torture someone to, to get information from them, even though that itself is kind of a, a, an act of cruelty? Mm-hmm. You know, that could be an interesting thing to morally explore. And this film kind of sets that idea up, but doesn't do anything with it. And I think it's all just, it's not been done deliberately. It's just like, okay, so we've got these ostensibly bad guys and we need to make them look good. So make everyone else around them a real pack of cunts so that they look better by comparison. So it's all all still black and white. There's no gray area there. They've just sort of turned it upside down. Yeah. Um, So so that's sort of, we're introduced to all these supervillains in the first couple of scenes like you were saying there's the yeah. scene with them all in the prison and then we have Viola Davies as Amanda Waller come in and, yeah uh, and she she's like the head of some shady side of this organization isn't she um and then and I've made a note about a line I I, I think she says it but it might be someone else um the the line is we got lucky with Superman he shared our values the next Superman might not this is in mm. a government briefing. Well, that's a load of bollocks because <laughs> Arkham's full of super beings at this point. They've already got the next Superman. Superman wasn't even the first super being in this world because Batman is like a grisly old, uh, like, and 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 Batman has all sorts of like Batman villains. I, I bet you the first time we see inside Arkham Asylum, I bet you it's full of people like Clayface. And I mean, fucking yeah. hell, there's Killer Croc in this one. Like, there's already super beings in this universe. There's already like shitloads of them so it just ugh mm. Wonder yeah, Woman a, I mean I, I she was knocking the... around in World War One. I've seen <laughs> the trailer <laughs> yeah but they kept it quiet but I think it's quite a good concept isn't it it's like okay Superman was on our side but if he decided to go like against us we'd be fucked I think it's kind of a nice setup. Um, yeah I mean that, that that happened in Man of Steel though like why not just say well, Superman was good, but Zod was bad, so... Uh... Is that part of the same continuity? I don't really know how these things tie together. Yeah, it goes Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Suicide Squad. But does it count? I don't know how it works when they just make what it What do you mean, does it on. count? I don't know, they, they're tying all these stories together, but I don't know if they're like, oh, this is a different Superman, like, that's not the same. No, it's, it's Henry Cavill as Superman in Man of Steel, and then he pops up again as Superman in Batman v Superman, and then Ben Affleck, uh, Ben Affleck as Batman, carries on over to Suicide Squad. Okay, so it's the same actors. It's right. it's the same continuity. It's all part of the plan. So presumably, yeah, when we see Joker again in a proper Batman film, it will presumably be Jared Leto. Yeah, unless they yeah. decide to cut their losses and just bin it because fuck mm. me was that a shit joker like again he <laughs> he's one of the things i've heard praised and people pulling out is you know what he did a good job despite everything else and people complaining he was only in 10 minutes it was fucking awful his yeah. performance was so badly thought through i mean it was just it was everything i think we said in our our batman v superman episode suicide squad episode leading into it like it looked as if they were desperately trying to come up with something sort of distinct and different so that they wouldn't be compared to Heath Ledger's performance. But then at the same time, Jared Leto's actual performance under all the makeup was just kind of Heath Ledger, like, doing an impression of him. And Mm. it just, it it was just awful. I liked it. I'll stand by it. 
I'll oh. defend it. Let's have an argument about it. <laughs> it's it's like it's not that the Joker as a gangster is like a bad idea. It is, but Heath Ledger, <laughs> it was, Heath it Ledger was. isn't playing it like a gangster. He's playing it. Sorry, not Heath Ledger. Jared Leto <laughs> isn't playing it like a gangster. He's playing. He's not it playing like it like. It. Yeah, we, we're but talking. He did an impression of James Cagney all... at one point. I'm, I'm gangster. Do you want to get? <laughs> it, I, it I... looks. It looks like the Joker's dressed up to infiltrate a, a gang or a part. Do you know? Yes. What I mean? It looks like the start of a caper yeah. where the Joker's going to jump, you know, wipe the tattoo off his head, and start cackling and going. He's you know, not. <laughs> he's not playing it gangster, but he's dressed up so much to look gangster with those horrible yeah. tattoos and the teeth and the the terrible terrible costumes that he has to wear and like scenes where he's like like you know falling back and he's like surrounded by all these guns that are arranged in a pretty pattern oh that it's was like, silly yeah yeah and that's the thing like in if he'd been playing it like a kind of a new take on the character where he where he kind of speaks like this to you and he walks <laughs> around with a tommy gun I'm the joke knuckles see. get me the dame yeah like that might have worked it'd be a fresh take yeah, on it yeah. I'm sure someone could make something like that work or you know like the the actual legit kind of you know modern day drug dealer kind of gangster they were going for like any of those takes would probably work mm. but Jared Leto and what he's doing and his voice and his body language and his performance have to co like they have to match up with what they're doing and and there were just about five different joker ideas on the table at once basically is what it felt like it felt like someone had been directing the performance and then someone else had been directing the art design and the if they'd gone yeah, with was... look we're going with the gangster like 1930s gangster idea everyone on the same page yeah like you say if they committed to that it would have been stronger yeah and that would have been that would have made sense because uh Harley Quinn is sort of this mole character, isn't she? Mm, this kind of mm. mob wife. So it, it, it that could even have even Jack worked. Nicholson's Joker was that concept really, because he's like yeah. in isn't Jack Pal- Palance's boss or something like that in the first one. My problem is that they've modernized it too much, and it's like I think there's a quaintness to it when it's like a 1930s gangster. Yeah. I'm not saying I wanted them to repeat that, but all this like gold chains and like it's it's so. Uh, but even then, his performance doesn't match up with that. Whether or not you like that as an idea, the kind of modern gangster take on it, at least they could have at least been consistent about what they were doing. And, mm. you know, he could have cur- made people bite the curb and kick their head in and stuff like that instead of... Just- <laughs> um, do we believe all the all the behind-the-scenes nonsense about uh, what Leto did? Like, he's- no... Um, I hate it all so much. It feels like the pu- the publicity was so like, oh, we need to make a big deal out of this because Heath Ledger, you know, we we can publicize that that you know he you know went mad and died because he was playing the Joker and he got so into it. And I find it quite disrespectful to him actually that they're so willing. I, I to- can totally believe that it all happened. Like, I can totally believe that Jared Leto sort of went like, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm going to get into character and I'm going to send Margot Robbie a dead rat. <laughs> and went to the director and went, David, look at what I'm doing here. And then David went, oh yeah, good, good. That'll be great. And then the rats opened up on set and, and it's Margot Robbie's assistant who actually opened it. She sort of goes, oh, um, Margot, um, I think I think Jared Leto sent you a, a dead rat to get into character. And she's sort of gone, oh, okay. Um, uh, I suppose I should write him a note in character or something. Should I? I don't know. Like I, I can see, it, I can see it all happening just in a very un, uh, 
interesting, boring <laughs> way. Well, that's just yeah. it. It's like they try to make it this mythology about oh, this character that can drive an actor mad and to you know death and stuff. It's like oh god, no. It's just it. It's really not that big a deal, is it? I. No, Caesar Romero was fine, wasn't he? He lived a long life. He only died recently. He didn't even shave his mustache. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably also worth talking about here quickly that um, Jared, have I been pronouncing it wrong? Is it Leto or Leto? Oh, I don't uh, know. No, nobody knows. Oh, Leto then. I'll go with Leto. You can stick with Leto, Sol. Um, <laughs> Alright. So the, the... Jared. I'm going Leto. <laughs> Is that alright? Ah, very good. But he, he sort of complained. Leto. He complained a bit after uh, the finished film came out and he was saying, like, I filmed like all these scenes and nothing, none of that is in the film. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, it probably here. says something about your performance, Harrod, if they have to like, <laughs> cut you out of the film. But were they going to get him out of the film? Or, I mean, the, the whole character doesn't really have much to do with anything. I suppose we'll talk about it as we get more into the plot, but... But it feels like that character should be a small part of this, and mm. it's setting it up for the... Yeah, him either a proper Batman film with him as the main villain or the Joker and Harley Quinn story, which mm. I think could have potential. Well, I, I've made a note here about that. They show us too much of that in this film. They mm. they give us a really shitty flashback that just basically does the Harley Quinn Joker backstory, but like glosses over it. So now they can't do a film about that, even though it's a great story and one of the you know better bits of batman lore in the past and and frankly needs that the the detail because doing it in this short way is really dismissive and so it's like this massive turn where someone who's a psychotherapist or whatever she is is charmed by a a kind of a a sociopath and and is is totally pulled in and then somehow turned kind of mentally ill and and we've got to believe that that character has completely shifted and because of the way it's not explored you don't get a full sense of it. And so you just see it, this kind of very, this, oh, I'm a female and this is my father figure. Yeah. I've got weird issues kind of thing. And it's it, and that like, story that could be a, really well explored and have an interesting character. That story is a big part of, well, it's, it's the decoder essentially as to why Harley Quinn works for people like me who aren't just taken in by her on, on face value. Like, Mad Love, it's called, the the episode of the uh, animated series that mm. kind of first delved into that. And they did a comic uh, issue one shot that, that kind of redid the story. But it really explores the, the psyche of this person and how twisted their relationship is. The fact that the Joker is like just fucking around and using this woman and then she's like completely in love with him and he's just using her and it's it's a really dark but very good story and it like i say it kind of makes harley quinn work and you see her in a new light after that as this kind of deeper three-dimensional entity that she isn't necessarily and to just have it glossed over is this flashback that isn't very well done is just a waste um, and I, d- I don't know if that's just to do with how ramshackle this whole film is. I mean, th- th- one of the things I suppose I might as well say at right is that watching this film, it was so apparent how much this had been fucked around with in the edit. Oh, yeah. yes. Well, yes. Ju- just just to go back to what we were saying, um, we, we started talking at the beginning of the film when all the, all the characters are being introduced. There is, uh, yeah. We see them all in their cells, and then there's a scene where Amanda Waller, who's played by Viola Davis, is sat at a 
government dinner and she's introducing all of these different people. And that stuck out to me as an especially like, oh, Jesus Christ, this was all this footage that they had. They didn't know how to use it. So they had to cobble together this (laughs) explanation scene with Viola Davies, like walking, you know, talking us through every single character. And it... It, I, I did think it was kind of an alright way of dealing with that, though. This kind of heavy exposition. We need to set these characters straight away. Okay, let's it. just have one character explaining who they are. Like they, ju- I, for, for, I, I know what you mean, but for me, they just about got away with it on that, and it was. I think. I think in theory, it's a good way of doing it, but I think in practice, they've not done a good job of it here. Mm. I would be fine with a lot of films having someone sit down and ex- just take us through, but. I think it's partly the length of each sequence introducing everyone. Like, yeah. It's not like a quick, this guy, he fell into a vat of lava and now he controls fire and they call him Tom Thumb Fire Thumb. It wasn't just like a quick <laughs> 10 second line for each person. It was like a full, and then they'd cut back to her and there was just no rhythm to it, no pacing. Mm-hmm. And, and it also was the start of something that's, again, talking about the edit, so just... Basically, Guardians of the Galaxy had come out fairly shortly before. Mm. Everyone had gone crazy for the soundtrack. We spoke about this in our Guardians of the Galaxy episode. It's so apparent watching this that someone in the edit just went, oh, well, you've got to put a a great soundtrack of just like hits from the 70s and the 80s over every scene. So every every five minutes in this film, just paint it black or ballroom blitz or some other classic song comes on and they're mostly great songs but none of the music fits thematically the pacing it it, it just all feels so utterly transparent and 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 cynical and like the playlist has been decided by a, a committee of movie executives rather than you know how this thing normally goes down which is the director has been listening to a playlist for months and they thought oh this is perfect for here in the edit or you know the editors plucked out a bit of music that they know that they think will work just right or it, it just oh god and it just adds to how messy the film feels frankly it, it, mm. it's this extra flavor that just doesn't gel because the yeah. film clearly wasn't written or directed or shot or acted with you know the idea of uh uh Rolling Stones song blaring over the top of it. So mm. it just doesn't work. I think this scene particularly sticks out as a scene where uh, after the trailer was released for this film, it was a really popular trailer. They had the Bohemian Rhapsody song on it. They like, the studio passed the film to the company that made that trailer and had them sort of finish the edit. So you, yeah. So you had the people who were editing the trailer, editing the film, and this is that's one scene where you can really feel it because this is just cut like a trailer. It's like when you've got all the 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 words appearing on screen, which I hate. It's too long. It's too like again the pacing's off, and I can only assume that's because it's not been cut to be a minute and a half long, and people who cut Mm. trailers might not have as good a grip on editing a ten-minute sequence. Um, yeah, because it it just nothing about the edit. Mm. Well, for the whole film, really worked for me. Um, but mm. certainly that sequence. That's interesting, though. Yeah, because that makes sense actually. <laughs> so, um, so if we talk about the individual characters, because I made some notes about them as we were seeing their flashbacks and things. Yeah. Mm. Well, I've made a note about Haw- uh, not Hawkeye. What's he called? Deadshot here. <laughs> yeah. um, my note is basically, I just I don't buy it. I don't buy this guy as a superhero. Like he's a superhuman shot. I don't buy it. 
And I think Hawkeye in the Avengers works for me because we always see him like licking his finger, checking the wind, just taking a second before he shoots. Whereas Will Smith in this film, like he just holds the gun up and shoots and bam, and it's like he mm. hits it. He's just like he's he's supernaturally good with a gun. Mm. And at least with Hawkeye, they kind of make an effort to make it seem like, no, he's just very talented. And, you know, if there's a loud noise blaring in his ear, it'll probably put him off and stuff like that. And I think that's a key, like, it's a very subtle difference between the two and how they're played. But I think it's a key difference that Mm. makes all the difference. And I think it's just indicative of how this film doesn't work, whereas other films do work. I think that's lost on me when one of the characters is a ghost witch. (laughs) <laughs> it's like yeah this guy can shoot supernaturally yeah whatever yeah but but he's not meant to have a supernatural is he not if no, the I guy don't had like an amulet around his neck that gave him the powers of shooting yeah fair enough but Has he not, set within the real world plus these magic artifacts mm. it's it's like if you said Indiana Jones if in Indiana Jones 5 Harrison Ford could just fly in the third act and they never like bothered to address it you're basically saying you'd defend that because, yeah, well, there's an arc of a covenant that melts faces off in that film. What do you want? Well, I would say opening an arc and, and everyone's face being melted by some sort of spirit is as much of a diversion as, oh, he can suddenly fly now. Makes No, just it as isn't sense. because it's justified within the story and the world. Like, it's set, this is set within our world plus these elements that they're throwing in. And at no point do they throw in supernatural shooting ability. He's meant to be just a really talented guy. Uh, like what? Who is he supposed to be? Because like when he's with his, you see him with his daughter, and he's like wearing a pimp hat with a feather in it, <laughs> and just sort of like strolling around town. That Batman cameo. Um, so yeah, Deadshot's hanging around with his daughter, and then Batman appears, doesn't he? I mean that that really annoyed me. Because basically, Deadshot could have killed Batman. Yeah. And for like, as far as we know, he would have killed Batman. There's no reason why this character wouldn't kill Batman, from yeah. what we're told. Um. So Batman's doing a shit job as well, putting himself in danger in a way that Batman's not meant to do. Um. And the only reason Batman doesn't die is because Deadshot's daughter happens to be there. Don't um, kill anyone, Daddy. So are we yet at... Because the, the narrative of this film is so all over the place that I have trouble remembering at which bit is which. When When is the bit with Batman, the Joker, and Harley Quinn when they're in the car? Is that here? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Maybe. So yeah, is that when we get a bit of their, their backstory, the Joker and Harley Quinn and who they are, and we just I see a bit so. of Batman jumping on a car and... All while Viola Davis is eating that steak and talking with a mouthful, and it's it's really unpleasant. Like, because there's all these close-ups of, like, and her and all these people, and they're just like, oh, yeah, I'm Batman. Dead. And it's like, I, I really, it just it didn't help. Um. So again, I'm going back to Margot Robbie's performance here, but like her accent is severely toned down from the cartoon whatever bit of New York that is, like the Bronx or whatever, probably going to upset some American listeners. I don't know which bit. Oh, but, she, she was uh, definitely Southern at one point. But Later why, on, she was doing like a Texas accent. But why is that accent so... Hey, Mr. J! Yeah, it's just <laughs> like really that. full on... That's a like, proper gangster's mold. Yeah, 1930s. Yeah, 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 that's the whole point of it. And, and Margot Robbie does that 
in The Wolf of Wall Street, which I assumed was why they cast her or part of it. And they've severely toned down what she did in The Wolf of Wall Street for this film. And I don't understand why. Maybe it could just get annoying after a while. I don't know. Well, maybe, uh, but people love Harley Quinn and that's what she is. Yeah, yeah. I um I've I don't know what my next note means, so maybe <laughs> you'll remember. Uh, I've written another idiot falling into a cave. Come on. That's that's uh, the witch woman. Oh, she's known Dr. June Moon. Um, oh, I remember you're right because we see her as an archaeologist, don't we? Before yes. she, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know what? I've written. It's because that's what happens to Batman. Yeah, it's because it's like watching Batman out. fall into his bat hole at the start of his <laughs> all his films. Yeah. So that's our main villain of the the main antagonist. Anyway, is yeah. Enchantress June Moon. Um, and then my next note is: archaeologists don't see ancient bottles and snap their tops off. The woman <laughs> opening that thing is stupid. has there been an iconic comic book movie villain since Heath Ledger's Joker because all these modern superhero films you'll have these villains and they're always dreadful they're always the most bland ah okay fair enough yeah you got that one (laughs) (laughs) Loki was um, 2011 or 2010 though it's still been quite a while I mean, Bane was iconic, whether or not it was shit, shit a sort of joke <laughs> or uh, people taking it seriously is sort of another thing. But <laughs> She's just such a, the enchantress. They say that this whole film is supposed to be a team up of villains. You'd think they'd have to go against someone, something really bad. And uh, She's just very weak and that weird walk that she does when she's like possessed by the witch is peculiar and not very scary. Um, I, there's a there's a line of dialogue that really annoyed me when uh, when they're dealing with the witch because because what happens is like a load of government people take control of her or something basically don't they um, yeah well, they don't believe it so uh, what's her face has to prove it by getting into yeah. something and and so the line that really annoys me is some say the witch's heart is buried so we searched the place and found it here it is. <laughs> Well, if you found it, then it's not some say, it's a fact, you <laughs> fuckhead. Like, what? Who's writing this shit? Who wrote Suicide Squad? Cause... Well, the credited writer. How many is people the are credited writers on it? No. Only, only one, David A. is the only credited writer, but I suspect there were plenty of hands in it. Yeah, I so, don't know. Going, going back to that 30 minute flashback sequence at the start explaining who everyone is. If you're not going to bother explaining why Killer Croc is a crocodile man, then why why do any of them either have some faith in an audience's ability to just go with it and or, or oh like... no no I mean sorry you you picked up on like because re- I, I cited this out in our um, review of the year episode this film has no gives no credit to its audience you as an audience member watching this film are not expected to remember or you know uh, retain any kind of information other than what you're seeing in that very moment and the scene that i cited then and i cite it again now as evidence of that is when they're talking about katana who has this saber blade thing and um everyone that she kills with it their soul is like captured into the blade or whatever and they drop this in a couple of points in dialogue throughout the film and they drop in mentions that you know she's um 
She killed her husband with it, and uh, and, and this kind of... Th- she's killed her husband, and we're supposed to sort of make, you know, the connections. And me as an audience member thinking, I, I can put two and two together. You know, I know that she killed her husband with that sword. So as if that wasn't enough, they then have to have a scene of her, like, talking to the sword. And she says to the sword, My dear husband, if I die in battle, we will finally be together. So, okay, fine, I get it. Like, you've underlined it. I understand she killed her husband with the sword. She's talking to him. But then immediately after that line, they have the fucking army man. And his line is, she killed her husband using that sword. His soul is trapped in it. She talks to him. That is the line. And it's like, do you not have any faith in the audience at all to retain any kind of information? I honestly don't think we're supposed to remember anything that happened more than 30 seconds ago. It is really important that they highlight that again, because then later on, the... Oh no, it never becomes relevant whatsoever. (laughs) And in fact, that character is not relevant at any point and could be removed from the film. (laughs) We we don't get anything about her husband. The sword doesn't, like, trap someone's soul yeah. where it's really important that it matters uh, yeah. nothing whatsoever that character wasn't unnecessary uh, mm. dr croctopus was unnecessary um <laughs> whatever the, <laughs> what are the other ones the, the boomerang boy wasn't particularly necessary but at least he kind of brought a different personality to it well he's he's mm. there for comic relief like you say but Write it so Killer Croc gives the comic relief, or give Deadshot some more jokes, or make yeah. Harley Quinn the comic relief. Like, because why? Why is she in the film? Frankly, based on the trailers and stuff, I thought she was there for some intelligence reason. Like these guys were sent after the Joker, so they needed mm, someone close yeah. to the Joker. That would have made more sense. That would have yeah. been good. Like infiltrate or knew the ropes or something like that. But as it stands, she she doesn't have any business being there. She has no business at all. She she hasn't got any powers. She hasn't got any specific street smarts. She's inexplicably really strong in this film at certain mm. points when it suits them. And she's not well. Like the others the others are all kind of like perhaps you could say they're evil even or, or kind of ruthless. She's mentally yeah. ill and like unpredictably yeah. so. And there's a danger to herself and others. And that, that's not someone you want in a sort of clutch situation. Yeah. <laughs> And and again, going back to the Joker, so we, we get another Joker scene after um, they're done introducing us to everyone, and it's where we see that the Joker isn't, he's not like manic and insane in quite the same way in this film, he just appears to be uh, obsessive-compulsive, because mm. um, he's laid out a load of knives all over the floor oh, in a way that, that would have taken hours, he's spray-painted the words ha-ha-ha-ha-ha, on all the walls in a very deliberate way that again would have taken hours. Um, I mean, it feels very much like this Joker is some emo kid who's learning HTML so he can make his MySpace look exactly how he wants. And, <laughs> and it, that's a complete style of a substance, isn't it? Basically. And um, when when does the the weird flashback with the Joker and the vat of chemicals happen? So what was that? Yeah, like I genuinely don't know what the fuck's happening. I didn't get. I, I my 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 note here is I don't get the scene with Harley and Joker in the vat of goo. So I am. I my I echo your thoughts exactly. So does the goo mean Do, anything? So, so is it like a toxic waste? Does none of us thing? get it at all? Um, it's supposed to be her proving that she would like literally give her life to appease him, isn't it? That's what I took it as. Um, and she's like, yeah, if he says jump, she will say, yeah, how high? I didn't know what it was. I didn't like it. But it just had. It was just an excuse to have Harley Quinn and... It's just kind of an excuse to have Harley Quinn and 
Deadshot have their like a little moment. Like they've got a few moments throughout the film where I think we're supposed to think that they're more connected than the other members of the team because they've got some emotional investment yeah. in something, mm. the mission. I don't really know. That's something that jumped out at me throughout. That especially as you get towards the end, it's like, oh, we're supposed to be uh, we're supposed to be bonding now. What's or, or there? Yes, there. That's to to, to to almost like a, a life bond where they they're gonna die for each other and and and, mm. and go against their former principles and all that sort of stuff. You don't see any of that, and and in fact, yeah. most of the time they're antagonizing each other and and not getting yeah. on at all. And yet they haven't had time to bond. Mm. James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my, my next mm. note, I, 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 I've just got a note here which we haven't addressed yet, so I thought I'd just drop it in. Um, why didn't they get a good actor to play Rick Flagg? Uh, I've, I've seen him in, um, well, he was in the Robocop remake, and he's in House <laughs> of Cards. He's are you, are you telling me you've seen the Robocop remake, but not Robocop, Calvin? Well, um, uh, you know, uh, Gary Oldman's in the remake. <laughs> 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 uh, anyway, so yeah, I think at, at one point he may have been considered an up-and-coming star like Sam Worthington or um, who's that guy who was Jeremy in Renner? like uh, no the the other one the more the one who was more tragic uh, who was in um, John Carter John Carter that one what's his name he was in Battleship he's been in nothing but bombs James Bonds. <laughs> And and it's a bad character. You got. I mean, I'll try and give him some benefit of the doubt. There. It's, yeah. No. Well, you know, we're, we're supposed to be invested character. in his relationship with the Enchantress, yes. and he like is trying to save her and whatever. And yeah. And then there's the uh, the final battle sequence, which is very like to say this this film apparently had a budget of one hundred seventy five million dollars. I I couldn't help but feel. Uh, a lot of it just looks really cheap to me, and I don't know if it's because so much of it is dark and you can't really see what's going on a lot of the time. It's, I don't know, I got like Alien versus Predator Requiem vibes mm-hmm. from it. And then some helicopters go down. Oh, it's yeah. all so just what, Okay, nonsense. here's my question. Harley Quinn escapes, right? And, right? and Amanda Waller goes to Deadshot, right? Shoot her and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll send your kid a birthday card or something. And then... <laughs> He, whatever it was he wanted. And then he, he decides not to shoot her. And, he, and so, again, we, we talk about this idea that they've bonded somehow and that they've they've got some sort of connection now and he, so he won't kill her. So, like, why didn't he do that for a start, is my first question. Has he got a conscience now? And then later on, we, we, we he says he doesn't shoot women or kids, which is um, sexist for a start, because it assumes women can't be in a position where they're powerful enough to... Uh, for people to want them dead, um, mm. like children, fair enough, because children are ultimately innocent, you know. Like, so you can understand that. Uh, <laughs> all right, <laughs> but but the, my point is that that means Deadshot is not just a ruthless mercenary. He's not just an assassin. He's making moral choices about the people he kills. Uh, mm. In which case, he is morally responsible for their deaths. And so he, if he goes like, oh yeah, well, they were a gangland sort of criminal guy, so I can kill them, that's fine. But then the, the only person we actually see him killing on the job is someone who's being taken to court to inform and uh, snitch on, on, the, on the, I don't guess, the mafia or whatever, whatever sort of big gang thing that's going on. So he's, he's killing him so that crime can continue or, or, you know, and that might be a bad person who was involved in the gang. And so we were all right with that. 
And he's a bit greasy and looks like a bit of a knob, so it's fine. Yeah. But, you know, ultimately what he's doing is murder. And it's an act of evil. Yeah, but they may, they just take great pains to establish him as someone with something of a moral compass. Like, everyone that he kills is a man, and they're probably even worse than he is. Uh, yeah, but there's but that's my point. Like, the no women, no kids thing, it's... it's yeah, it's, we're it's, supposed to like him for that. I mean, it's, it's old school for a start. Like, yeah, yeah, but that's the mentality of a lot of the people who are going to be watching this thing, who are just, you know, oh yeah, you don't hit a woman because whatever, that's not chivalrous or something. It's, you know, women and children first, all that. Whereas, that, I mean, the three of us, like, if we were on the Titanic, I'm sure we'd be flinging them out of the boats uh, so that we could put our legs up. But we're, we're pretty more morally reprehensible than the characters in this film. Um, See, I'd, I'd, be, uh, I'd be in the, in the, uh, what's the, what's the working class bit of the ship called? Oh, steerage. steerage. Yeah, I'd be in steerage. I'd be like trying to form a union. Um, now we could, <laughs> if if we if we all go on strike, uh, we'll have to force them to give us proper suites <laughs> on the on the nice cabins on the with a porthole and stuff. I'd I'd hit the buffet. <laughs> and Calvin, you you you'd be in the proper upper class bit, wouldn't you? I like to think of myself there. Yes. But it is sexist, right? It's misogynistic. This film, in general. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, we we hit that at the start when we we're talking about how it treats Harley Quinn. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it is, it is. And like I say, it's in a way that you don't really see that much anymore, frankly, in in big mainstream films like this. It, mm. It's in a way mm. that feels quite outdated already. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's old school. Should we talk about the ending? And then they're all going to go, all the villains team up, and they go and attack the Enchantress and defeat her. I'm skimming over all this action because it's all just boring and yeah. miserable. The other thing is, right, okay, when just before they go into the big final battle, Rick Flagg is explaining what's happened and how June Moon, as the witch, escaped, right? Mm. And they're in a subway. They're in a subway? Yeah. Does, does Jared come out in... Show off his old trousers, and they're really big. I'm not sure I understand the reference. <laughs> oh, oh, he's making a sub. God, you can tell it's getting late into the night, and uh, we've been recording for a while. Because, uh, yeah. And uh, they, he looks at the Joker and he says, "Your name's like my name." Oh, you're talking about the subway sandwich. I, I thought when you said Jared, I was thinking of the Joker. Right? Okay. <laughs> oh, God. All right. So anyway, they're in they're in this tunnel. What would a real-life Suicide Squad be like? It'd be like Ian Brady, Jared from Subway. Uh, who else would be in it? Uh, who's a woman? We need. A, is Rosemary West still alive? I, I reckon the. Uh, I reckon one of the McCann parents would be in there. <laughs> oh! But like, but they they'd be like b- pulling the strings behind the, the scenes. <laughs> they'd be the true villains. Of yeah. Them. Oh. Um. There'd be that Spin Doctor guy. Oh, Alistair Campbell. Campbell! What was the publicity? Oh, entirely sure. <laughs> <laughs> don't, 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 he just—he just seems like he, you know. I'm not—I'm not going for like the most evil people in the world. I'm—I'm I'm just going for <laughs> people that I think would be in this film. Oh, okay. Harvey Harvey um, Weinstein. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm talking about like, actual criminals, like not just <laughs> bizarre characters. <laughs> Human curios. <laughs> 
Oh, so, so they've got to be like actual. Yeah, like a real life fellas. Suicide Squad. Oh, maybe. Oh, um, no. No, because they're quite like Derek. Piers Morgan. <laughs> no! Are these just people you'd like to commit suicide? <laughs> but but he, he did all that phone hacking, didn't he? I mean, he settled out of court, but he's he's guilty as fuck. Oh, let's start some beef with him. He'll he'll respond. We right. We open on the film. Piers Morgan's just stamping on mice, and uh, <laughs> and then in walks uh, Rebecca Brooks. Oh, brilliant! Given that this is a pointless tangent where you just name media people you don't like, is this is this going anywhere? Okay, so basically right. we see we see the witch escaping and like Rick Flag's telling the story and she's got this huge bomb and it's got like two seconds set on it and she sets it going and then disappears and that's how she escapes. But we never see how Rick Flag stops the bomb uh, but then the bomb is used later on. It's like an important plot device because he, he just leaves it there because obviously he was a bit distressed so he just decides to leave it there. Mm. But it's again, it's another flashback that they're trying to use to explain and, and get this bomb in, in the position. It doesn't make sense, it doesn't work and... Also, mm. it doesn't. I'm sure we'd saw, seen her escape earlier, and it was different. I, 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 it, none of it worked. It, it didn't make sense. It didn't add up. Any of it, and it, it felt really. That was like the biggest point for me, where it just felt really desperate. They were hacking this together like they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't even know what the plot was, or like how it mm. would work. Did you not mm. notice that? Yes! <laughs> I, I think I may have used this argument um, in, in the review of the year, and I, I believe that you said something along the lines of, this is a director who knows what he's doing. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly standing by that, but I don't think the director's at fault here. I do. <laughs> I, I, I would have more respect for this director if he like came out and said like yeah actually they took the film away like the director of um, the yeah. most recent Fantastic Four film like if they if he this came is, away and said actually the studio this like, is a took much this and... worse film than that Fantastic Four film like that Fantastic Four film is shit but it's coherent mm. oh yeah well why that was the, the other thing this witch right she can travel through space and time apparently at whim you know she just transports wherever she wants she we we see her go to the other side of the world and back in a split second. So why does she then just decide to take on these guys in hand-to-hand combat with a couple of swords? You'd yeah. think, yeah. I mean, uh, and then they have this big battle sequence, this big fight, and then she sort of steps away from them and goes, right, enough of this, and then they just like waves her hand and all their weapons get pulled out of their hands. It's like, why, why didn't you just do that before? Is she, is she just playing with them? Or I mean, obviously I know what it is. It's just like, oh, let's have a big fight sequence. That'll look cool. But it just, it just makes the whole thing so worthless. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No. You're right. Yeah. No. What you're saying all makes uh, makes sense. It just took you about seven months to <laughs> realize it. Uh. Uh, one last thing I've got as well. Um, all right, Columbo. When we find one more <laughs> one more question at the end, Amanda Waller turns out she's still alive for some reason, um, and she still decides she's going to try and control them. And she's got this little iPhone thing where she's uh, can kill them at a touch of a button, right? Why doesn't someone just like kill her? Why doesn't Deadshot shoot her in the face? Like, how how long do you think it takes her for to, to get that out of her purse? Turn it on, put the passcode in, bring up the neck explosion app, get them up on screen. Like, just wait for her to put it down, and then how long does it take someone to to kill her? Like, she's defenseless without it. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Yep. Yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> All right. Good. No arguments there. Then. <laughs> no. Let's readdress, reevaluate our Suicide Squad ratings. Because uh, what what did we what did you give it in the previous episode? I gave it a seven. Calvin, do you remember did, what you gave? Did it? I give it a three? I think I feel like it was a three. That sounds about right. Okay, well, it's a three from me as well. Calvin, are you staying sticking with your three? Uh, yeah, I'm going to stick with my three. Alan, what are you giving it? Four. Okay. Mm. That's three point three recurring. If you want to save yourself the calculator. <laughs> 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 So we'll we'll factor that in. We'll we'll get a, a leaderboard going of of, <laughs> of all the films. So are they, are they make are they making a second one? Yeah. So uh, inexplicably, uh. they're they're pushing ahead with the DC universe, and yeah, one of the many upcoming films is Suicide Squad two, and there's a number of shortlisted directors uh mel gibson was being thrown around for a while the name and that makes perfect sense because after hacksaw ridge it it seems to be that he loves just making films where the tone is all over the fucking shop so (laughs) i can see why they'd want him for suicide squad but they're also talking about ruben fleischer and uh the guy directed creed and the guy directed Fifty Fifty and Warm Bodies, so mm. uh, don't know, don't know what's going to happen there. And and like we mm. say, David Ayer's off doing this Gotham City Sirens spin-off thing, mm. which could have been cool, but with him at the helm, I, oh. I, yeah, I'm not expecting anything good. Um, yeah. Generally, the DC universe is just like a fucking state, frankly. Uh, but the Batman's changed a bit. The the solo Batman movie. When we last did our mm. Batman episode, that was going to be directed by Ben Affleck himself. Uh, mm. In the months since that episode, uh, he has stepped away from it. And oh. there's been a search for a new director. Uh, oh. Speculation being that maybe he had too much to lose in terms of credibility if he tried to make a Batman film within this system and like if it didn't end up being great then it would just harm him and it wasn't worth it so uh they brought in matt reeves to direct it uh matt reeves who directed the upcoming war of the planet of the apes the dawn Mm. of the planet of the apes cloverfield and the uh english language remake of let the right one in let me in Mm. um Mm. he's a he's a competent guy so it'll be interesting to see what what he brings. I mean, he's he's basically had the script um, scrapped. They're they're writing it from the ground up, apparently. So oh. I think with him working on it, it should be at least a three star movie, if if nothing else. Um, yeah, hopefully, and weirdly enough, uh, we need to mention, I suppose, uh, it's just been announced that Joss Whedon is directing, writing, producing a Batgirl movie. Mm. Which is, it's weird. It's like J.J. Abrams doing Star Trek and Star Wars. Like the fact they brought Joss Whedon in to make this film's really odd. Mm. And it, to be honest, this this all really annoys me because currently we're three for three. There are three shit DC universe movies. Now, mm. if and it looks like they're going to keep up that trend for the foreseeable future. But really, do you think even Wonder Woman will be? Um, 
well, we'll get to that in a minute, I guess. But it, it certainly doesn't mm. seem like they're going to turn it around all of a sudden to me. And mm. that's going to annoy me all the all the more because that if there's just this really good Batgirl film in the middle there, which I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if it ends up being good with Joss Whedon at the helm, um, that's going to be really annoying. <laughs> if there's like one great film and just a, a sea of turds that it's sat swimming in is... <laughs> I'd rather they were just all shit. <laughs> It'd be less mm. frustrating. Uh, but yeah, Wonder Woman's the one we're we're tying this episode in with. So yeah, how do you guys feel about Wonder Woman, Alan? I expect you know nothing about it and have no thoughts either way. That would be correct. All right. So <laughs> Calvin, how do you feel about it? Uh, I'm. I couldn't be more indifferent. Yeah. Uh, I have. I have no. I've never seen any Wonder Woman thing ever. I have no reason to go and see this on the basis of the films I've seen so far in the DC universe. Yeah. I the only the only reason why I would rather why why I want it to be good and I would like it to be a success is because it's a female starring action mm. superhero movie and I think that that's a good thing. Um, but apparently, yeah, apparently there's been very little. Um, marketing push for this from Warner Brothers yeah. unlike the other films there's been talk of they're just not even bothering well, this is it. I, I, I've seen them being accused of sexism because they're apparently particularly in America really not marketing it not buying up much ad space and what have you my guess is that the film's shit and they're just cutting their losses because they've kind of learned that spending loads on marketing isn't worth it uh, I don't know. It, 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 it's weird. Uh, initially, when I saw the trailer, loads of people I know were really excited. They said, "No, it looks great. It looks like it's going to be the one to turn it around." Mm. Patty Jenkins is directing. Blah 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 blah. And I watched the trailer, and it looked shit. It looked every bit as shit as every other DC film we've had. It just looked like bollock Zack Snyder style action with nothing in it. Um, I've since seen a, a slightly different trailer a few times at the cinema, which I think is more focused on plot and character and humour. And it has mm. won me over a little bit. Like, because, like, in theory, the idea of, you know, super this superwoman knocking around in World War One that could be quite cool if it's done well. And the new trailer looks like it has a bit more humour and, like, understanding of how it should play itself. So I, I, I'm hoping it'll mm. be good, but DC's actions certainly don't suggest they have much faith in it and you know this is the fourth film in a franchise at the minute that has turned out nothing but shit so i'm not looking forward to it particularly i guess mm. we'll see and we'll be revisiting the dc universe again later this year i suppose if we do decide yeah. to talk about justice league yeah which i'm is sure we will this year november this year well, it's crazy yeah so what would we pitch to dc <laughs> If they came mm. knocking. Yeah, so Calvin, how would you try and make sense of this mess? Well, I was very disappointed at the lack of suicide in a film called Suicide <laughs> Squad. So um, my pitch for a, uh, a, a Suicide Squad film is um, a bunch of old people are living in a hospice. Um, so I, originally I was going to do this as like old versions of the Suicide Squad. So Harley Quinn was going to be like 80 years old and it was going to be all these, um, old superheroes. But then I thought, you know, forget, I don't actually like any of these characters. I want to make my own and cast my own, um, people. So the film is called Suicide Squad. 
and it's uh, a bunch of old people living in a hospice um, <laughs> where they've all been led to believe that they only have a few days left to live when they were admitted. In reality, they had months to, left to live, and they find this out. Um, and the reason why they were admitted is because the hospice was losing money because people are living longer, and the NHS has been dismantled by a right-wing conservative government. <laughs> so Hang on, have you and Alan swapped uh, pictures before this? <laughs> it's having an effect on me, honestly. It's all this election stuff. Um, so the old people are being kept there. They're being lied to, basically, to stay in this hospice so that the proprietor if you can call that of the hospice, um, can make money. Now, I'm, we're going to have five main old people. They're going to be played by Michael Caine because he's in, he's in all these films Michael about old Caine. people. He's in one with he's in one with Morgan Freeman and Alan Alder at the Morgan moment. Freeman. Um, the other old people I've got in my film, I've got Michael Caine. I've got Helen Mirren, um, Miriam Margulies, uh, Roger Moore, and Charles Dance. Those are my <laughs> five old people. So now. Um, they all learn about the behaviour of this villainous hospice administrator, who I'm thinking can be played by Chris O'Dowd, and they <laughs> decide... <laughs> they all decide to go to the Dignitas Clinic in Switzerland mm-hmm. to seek assisted suicide <laughs> as a... <laughs> I... <laughs> I thought he 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 hasn't played a full-on villain yet, and I think we could have some, uh fun with that. Uh, but he'd also be a bit goofy, like, they want this to be light-hearted. So they're gonna go to the Dignitas Clinic in Switzerland to seek assisted suicide as a fuck you to this bastard for making them spend the last few months of their lives stuck in this crappy hospice. Their passports are held in a safe in the hospice, so the old folks decide they're gonna have one last adventure and take a road trip to Switzerland. So we're gonna have lots of funny and heartwarming moments along the way as the old people get in situations and talk about their lives and stuff, um, while Chris O'Dowd is chasing after them with a psychiatrist played by Natalie Dormer and is trying to have the old people declared insane so that they can be incarcerated at his facility for the rest of their short lives. Eventually, the old people get to the clinic in Switzerland, and uh, there can be some kind of showdown here with Chris O'Dowd, um, and I think one of the old people should find out that they were never terminally ill after all, as a last-minute twist, um, but they decide that they still want to go to sleep with their friends because the trip has been so wonderful, <laughs> and they can't imagine life getting any better than this. And um, and then, for, uh, for Chris O'Dowd's comeuppance, we can end the film with him uh, coughing up blood and hinting <laughs> that he may too be terminally ill uh, we can have him smoking cigarettes throughout the whole film and then it's like oh it's caught up with you hasn't it and that's the end so they are the suicide squad they all get tattoos along the way uh, yeah. a heartwarming British okay. comedy for the whole family yeah there we go um shall I do mine now <laughs> yes go on then Alan what would you do I was just uh, drawn by the fact that there was no proper backstories to these characters, so I did a sequ- I did the prequels uh, that should have been made, or oh. rather the films that should have been made before this, introducing all the characters. <laughs> I actually did one for all the main. Wait, are you are you, are you pitching six films? Well, now? I did ones for all the main characters, but then uh, varying levels of boringness. Crocodile Dundee and Kangaroo Jack—they're both um, pretty. You know, we don't know enough about them to create a story so it was like i thought mm. the the um boomerang guy was like at least he's like yeah he could be like a working class aussie bloke and then he's just like the, mm. he's the comedy entry in it um but yeah mm. there's not like enough character there for me to do anything with it without the backstory 
And like Harley Quinn, for example, is like, that's obvious. We know what we've already talked about it. You know what we're supposed to do with that. I was quite happy with my one for the samurai girl. Yeah. Uh, Just as a quick little. So you could have the, her husband is a great samurai. She's like the doting little wife. But then he he has this magic sword. It traps souls and all that. He uh, he got he gets involved with something where he basically gets caught. He's, he's going to be done. So he kills himself in a kind of ritualistic suicide. Mm. And so then his own soul is trapped in that sword. And so when she gets the sword back, she like swears vengeance. And she's right. I'm going to learn to be a samurai and take vengeance. And then that would be the story. Mm. So that, that kind of whole like just of development of how she came to be in this situation. How she would mm. get to become mates with Rick Flagg. Um, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, but then that was just, uh, I was kind of, I think that's quite a nice uh, way to go with that. But the, I don't know, the, the most detailed one, I guess, because I, I came up with one for Diablo as well, but essentially it's just Incredible Hulk. It's, you know, so in the interest mm. of just keeping it brief, uh, we'll just leave that one. The, so Deadshot was kind of the interesting one. He's all about his kid. We know that. So that's where the backstory wants to come. So he's this young, you know, kid. He's born, born, raised in West Philadelphia. Uh, <laughs> he gets he gets into like a minor scuffle as a you know as a young man. So his mum sends him to live in Bel Air with some rich relatives, <laughs> and then <clears throat> one day he's out with his cousin and they go to a cash machine and they get mugged. Uh, and then when he's protecting his cousin, he gets shot uh, and so ends up in hospital. But this experience, yeah. this experience changes him, right? He gets, so after he recovers, he, he gets a bit like obsessed with protecting himself. He starts going to a gun range and learning how to shoot and that sort of thing. And he discovers he's got a special talent for it. Um, again, I don't want to, yeah, like Saul was saying earlier, it's not supernatural talent. It's just he's, he's obviously got a skill for it and he trains and makes himself better. He gets quite obsessed with it. Mm. Then so then during this time like he has to, he has to get somebody, somebody pregnant, uh, so we can have a little side story of some woman he knocks her up and then they don't get on so <laughs> that's that so hmm. you got that he's, but then but now he's got the value in his life of fatherhood now we know from Vin Diesel that this is very important. Um, are you can I, <laughs> like obviously you were doing the Fresh Prince but are you like are you specifically doing the episode of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air where Will takes a bullet for Carlton at the. Well, I did. That was ABTM. my. That was my starting point. <laughs> like I've, I've moved on from it now. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, so. Can we uh, have, have Alfonso you... Ribeiro in this? Yeah, he'll play the dad. He's now a father, and so he has to try. He's trying to earn some money to look after his daughter, but you know, he's just a kid from the from the hood. He he, he hasn't got a great education. He, the only skill he's got is shooting, um, and mm. he's working this shitty dead end job. And so eventually, he kind of falls into you know someone from the gang know about his skills with guns, and they offer him work as like an enforcer. And he doesn't, but he doesn't want to do it. We have to show that he's conflicted. Like he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to hurt people, but he has to do it for mm. his daughter. That's more important. He has to provide for his daughter. Uh, and so it becomes a bit of a gangbanger. <laughs> Not like that. <laughs> uh. He fi- he finds solace in the fact that he's only going after bad guys. You know, he kills like the. <laughs> he gets the finds a quantum of solace in that, and they're all um, <laughs> they're all drug dealers and like bad guys basically. So he doesn't feel too bad about killing them, even though he himself is working for a bad guy and all that. But eventually. Mm. Some whatever reason, this is the big, big denouement thing. He, he gets called on to kill an innocent, uh, someone who couldn't possibly have done anything evil. 
So mm. he refuses to do it, and this draws the wrath of the gang who has been working with him. And so basically, that's the setup. He's forced to go rogue, and then he, and that's how he ends up becoming, you know, the dead shot that we all know. And he's kind of he's been tarnished by life a little bit. He's cynical, but he he wants to give his child a, a good chance in life that he never had or whatever. Uh, so that's that's it, and it's kind of a setup for the character that we find in Suicide Squad. So it's kind of a prequel idea, really. Yeah. Uh, that was it. Uh, okay, Sol? This this whole uh, DC cinematic universe thing, it's not work. It's not working, is it? Should just pack it no. in. No. So is Burn your pitch? Is your pitch? Pack it in. Don't do anything. Burn it to the ground. <laughs> Wipe the reboot. Clean. Reboot. Uh, yeah, I, I I think I think enough is enough. Like it's not working. Enough is enough. You've not got a good foundation for a, for a franchise here. Let's just try again. Like every people will let like it's a world now where you can do that. Everyone will kind of scoff, but they'll still go and watch the new Batman movie yeah. when you release it in two years. So it's fine. I mean, did it with Spider Man? Worked out yeah. all right. Yeah. So. Oh wait, no, it didn't. Sorry, no disregard <laughs> that. We're yet to figure out if it is going to work out. Which anyway. which time are you talking about? Uh, the second time. I was thinking of the Andrew Garfield one, and then I thought, oh no, wait, shit, they rebooted that again after <laughs> two films. Yeah. yeah. They need to appoint someone as like a, a godfather for the franchise to oversee the whole thing. They've you you sort... don't think that Zack Snyder is. I was about to say, they've sort of got that at the minute, but we need someone good who like understands mm. the characters. So ideally, you, you want someone who's like involved in the comic publishing wing or something. But I don't know, just. Just spend some time. Find someone who likes the characters, who understands them, who's like capable, and put them in charge. Um, and and look to look to the Batman animated series and the subsequent spin-offs, the Superman series, the Justice League series, Batman Beyond, all these things that came in the nineties and early noughties. Look at them for inspiration because they they remain some of the very best versions of those characters like some of the only instances of those characters working on screen and and you know use that as a, a basis and and the comics highlights and everything so do what marvel did can i can Start, i make a quick yeah. prediction all right is the condiment king going to make an appearance <gasps> i hope so <laughs> I, I mean I now you want clock king i haven't written him into this but he's oh. bloody better like, he will do he'll be in the batman movie the first yeah, yeah, he's the best villain. <laughs> yeah, could you could you make the Condiment King gritty? Could like could can you make can you sell it as a legitimate villain? Um, can you make it work like acidic maybe. ketchup or something? Like he's just an we'll, acid we'll, throws acid at people. Well, he's, he <laughs> he. If I remember correctly, he is a stand-up comedian who's been brainwashed into adopting this ridiculous persona. Oh, but by day he works in a fast food restaurant, um, but he's trying to be a stand-up comedian, and he's having no, to work. I, I think it's a just a bad McDonald's. series of puns because he's like a pun comedian. Oh, he could be played by Tim Vine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, 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 I think there's like a series of these like shit supervillains, and I think it's, I think it's the Mad Hatters like brainwashed a load of people to become supervillains as like a distraction or something. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. It's you like, can make that work, yeah. They're yeah. just, yeah. It's like a mystery man kind of, uh, or yeah. uh, kick-ass that kind of attitude, isn't it? 
Yeah, you could have fun uh, with that. And like, yeah, you could probably make it gritty and more realistic, but it, you'd, you'd have to make it a comedy, I think. I don't think you could get away with it as a serious thing. <laughs> anyway, no, I, I think I think this new cinematic universe needs to be built from the grounds up. The, from the ground up. Needs to be built from the ground up like Marvel did. Just emulate Marvel. And that means start with a smaller film. Don't go straight in with Superman or Batman. Marvel started with Iron Man. They kind of tested the water on a, a smaller level. So maybe you start the thing with Wonder Woman or The Flash, who are, you know, they're, they're kind of B-list characters. People are aware of them, but they're not massive, popular people. So it's a low-stakes game, and if you completely fuck mm. it up, you can just start again <laughs> without problems. Like, just pick a different character. And no other films enter production until this film is complete. Right, because <laughs> mm. that—that's the biggest problem at the minute—is they're locked in. Like, I don't think you understand how the film industry works. So, <laughs> <laughs> but the biggest problem they've got at the moment is, well, no, you know, it's like Marvel made Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk together, but they didn't have Iron Man two already in production before Iron Man came out. They didn't have Thor or Captain America in production. They were kind of hedging their bets a bit. The Incredible Hulk could have easily stood alone from Iron Man if necessary, if one of them had been, you know, dreadful and they needed to distance himself, themselves. And that's that's how this should work. They're, they're just getting the franchise started. They don't need to be making three films a year in this franchise. Like, make Wonder Woman or The Flash and wait and see how it goes down and build on it. Because at the moment, they're locked in. This is the thing. They probably do want to reboot, but Justice League and Wonder Woman are both in post-production. Uh, Aquaman's filming, and they're deep into pre-production on a load of other films, and it, it, they can't really just wipe the slate clean at this point, because what would they do? Like Announce that these films don't count anymore, but then release the remaining few to diminish the box office, or... I don't know. It, 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 they're in a difficult place, and I, I say they just yeah, just wipe it, wipe it clean, chuck them in the bin. No one cares about those films. But yeah, emulate Marvel. So go for dark, cartoony fun, like the old animated series, like the Arkham video games that exist. They they've got the tone pretty much spot on. Split the difference between the animated series and the Chris Nolan films. That's what you want. That's basically the Arkham mm. video games, because then. It's different enough to what's come before in the the films in that you can have the likes of Mr. Freeze and stuff show up, but it's still got a degree of being grounded and what have you. It's similar to what they're dancing around at the moment, but a bit less gritty and what have you, a bit more willing to embrace fun and colour if necessary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just hire talented people, let them have their vision to a point like Marvel, under this, you know, Godfather figure. I mean, fucking hell, you've got Joss Whedon on board, so let him relaunch it. Let Batgirl be the first new film out the gate. Joss Whedon's Batgirl, starting again, and, you know, make make it work that way. And embrace the kind of outsider films. But don't go too full on. This is the other thing. We don't need all of the members of Justice League in the first Justice League film, or set up before the first Justice League film. So... At the minute, with this this weird effort to kind of establish the Flash and Wonder Woman and everyone in these earlier films, it's it's unnecessary. You can chuck a few people in, like they did with Hawkeye and and uh, Black Widow and the Avengers, on top of the people we've already met. Mm. Although I suppose what they 
had little cameos in earlier films, didn't they? But yeah, just start with Batgirl, maybe do The Flash, maybe do a Joker Harley Quinn movie, maybe Superman, Justice League, and that 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 should be it for phase one. And then phase two, you can start doing sequels, get to Batman, get to some of the weirder ones like Martian Manhunter and stuff, and uh, just just build like a proper foundation that you can make films with and mm-hmm. get to stuff like Batman Beyond down the line and, and the really exciting stuff like that. I think well, the better the better plan would be to get get rid of all the superhero stuff and try and figure out what the next trend is going to be. Uh, that's what I always or say. Like, like uh, Universal Monsters. Um, <laughs> next week. <laughs> no. Oh, spooky. Well, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that. And uh, this is our 52nd episode, so that means we've been doing the show for an entire year now, which is... Well, I'm frankly amazed we've kept it up. Thank you to everyone who's been listening. Thank you to everyone who's subscribed, who, who likes us on Facebook and follows us on Twitter. And an extra, extra special thank you to those of you who actually engage with us and and write us comments and, and what have you. Yeah, just just thank you. It's it's great to know that you're enjoying the show. And uh, here's to the next year and beyond. Have a good week. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>